one of my high school buddies, uh, who is apparently a Christian, uh, sends me stuff two or three times a week, and I don't use a, a lot of it, but Dave Doris did a completely irrelevant illustration last week about parking. One of the things that I got from my high school buddy this week was a little story about a, a guy that's driving around and, and uh, he's in a parking, uh, looking for a parking space and he's got a really, really important um, meeting to get to and he's late. And he, he prays, please God, open up a parking space so that I can get to my meeting. And he makes the corner and, and, and voila, there's a parking space. And he says, okay, Lord, never mind. We're a lot like that, aren't we? Sometimes we pray and when something happens, uh, we tend to chalk it up to accidents or uh, just something happening. Okay, Lord, never mind. But you see, what we need to understand is that God pours out grace after grace after grace in our lives. And I can tell you in my own experience, when I'm in Walmart and this packed up and I'm driving around looking for a parking space and suddenly someone pulls out right in front of the door. It's like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> right into the parking space. Because you see, God's in charge of even those kinds of little things. And what we see in this passage this morning are the gifts, not only of God's grace, but the gifts of the gospel. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. I'm reading from the New American Standard. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul here starts out and he's talking about the fact that the gifts of the gospel are given by God's grace. Paul says, for through the grace given to me. Uh, Leon Morris in his commentary on, on this part of Romans says that Paul probably has two ideas in mind when he says that. The, the first is the fact that grace was given to Paul by God in salvation. You remember, Paul was someone who was persecuting the Christian church. He was actually going out and hunting down uh, Christians, people from this, this heretical sect, which is what the Jews thought, and he was placing them under arrest and delivering them up to be killed. Paul was there holding the coat of Stephen while Stephen was stoned to death. Paul became a Christian when he was on his way to Damascus with an arrest warrant in his hand from the high priest to gather up Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to be killed. And so Paul now understands that by God's grace, even he has been saved. He's probably also thinking about the grace given him by God 
in putting him in the position of an apostle. Through God's grace, Paul is able to speak as one who knows the living God. That was one of the requirements for an apostle. He had to have been given a commission by the living God. All of the original apostles were in the presence of Jesus Christ, and he personally gave them a commission. But Paul was caught up. He says, I don't know whether it was in the spirit or in the body, but he was caught up into the heaven, into the throne room of God, and he was given a special commission by God to go out and bring the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles. Through God's grace, Paul is able to speak with the, with the authoritative voice of God himself. That's what we, not, we need to understand as we read this book. That this is not simply a collection of someone's ideas written down. It's not simply a collection of things that people had heard over the years and they finally committed to writing. What this is, is it, the Scripture says all Scripture is God-breathed. The word is like you can put your hand in front of your face and feel the breath when you're speaking. God speaks through those whom He has chosen. And so when you read this book or hear it preached or taught, think about it in terms of this is God speaking. We're studying Exodus in, in the, the Adult Sunday School and I really encourage you to come. We're, we're learning an incredible amount of stuff about Scripture. But part of Exodus, when Moses says, Lord, I'm a, I'm a man of you know, poor speech, heavy of tongue. I, I can't speak. God says, okay, Moses, I will make you as God to Aaron, and Aaron will be your spokesman. So Moses was speaking as if he were God. And Aaron then was passing that word on. And here's what you see going on with Paul. God was speaking, and Paul is passing that along. By God's grace, he's able to speak with the authoritative voice of God himself. Thomas Schreiner in his uh, commentary also proposes two reasons for Paul saying through the grace given to him. The first is that Paul is not merely passing along good advice or his personal opinion. Many people look at the Bible that way. Well, Jesus was a great teacher and I can take that advice or you know, I can go on and do something else. No, the word is authoritative. It is God's command to us. And that's what you and I need to understand. We, could, we were talking in Sunday school this morning about the difference between intellectual assent and saving faith. Intellectual assent is, I can believe that there is a God. Even the demons believe. They tremble. But they're not saved. The difference is because saving faith, the grace of God, the gift of God, causes me to put my trust in Him and to behave in a Christ-like way and to obey his commands. As an apostle, Paul is called by God to deliver authoritative scripture to the people of God. Peter talks about the fact that uh, people distort the scriptures even as they uh, distort the writings of Paul even as they do the rest of the scriptures. So Peter himself is saying that everything Paul wrote down is scripture. It is the word of God. The second reason Schreiner points out is that Paul understands he's been made an apostle 
by the grace of God and not through any effort on his own. Since he is exhorting others to think soberly, he is demonstrating his understanding that his gift is a gift of God. Paul did not get to where he was on his own. He did not get there by working hard and studying hard. He did not get there because he had an aspiration to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was trying to destroy Christianity. And by the gift of God, he was made an apostle. And the gifts of the gospel are given to all. I tell people, look at the little words. The gifts of the gospel are given to all. A-L-L. All the people of God. Verse 2, Paul says, I say to every man among you. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. But we know that all of these letters of Paul to the church at Rome, at Ephesus, at Colossae, at Philippi, all of these letters were circular letters. They were initially sent to the church they were addressed to, and then each of these letters were taken around to all of the churches and read in a worship context. And what Paul is saying is, I say, by the grace of God, through the authoritative power given me, all people of God are given gifts by the grace of God. I say to every man among you, each and every person who is a Christian is given the gift of faith by God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, through the agency of faith, and that faith, not of yourselves, it, faith, is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And Ephesians 4, 7 says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And Paul says exactly the same thing here in Romans 12, verse 3. God has allotted to each a measure of of faith. Not my faith. Not your faith. It's the faith given to us by God Himself. The word allotted means to apportion, uh, to bestow, to share. It comes from a word which means to get as an allotment or a share. Some of you have a military background. And in the military, you can take part of your pay and you can set it aside as an allotment to be sent to your family or your insurance company or whatever. It's not theirs, it's yours. You share it with them. You allot it to them. And that's what the word means in regard to faith. In other words, God has apportioned or bestowed or allotted to each and every Christian the share of faith which you and I have treasury of God himself. Because the grace is given to us, the gifts of the gospel are given to eliminate pride. We're prideful people. It started in the garden. When Satan said to Adam and Eve in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. We all want to go there. In that natural state. Leon Morris says, given, that little word, given is important. 
It is not a matter of the believer making an earnest effort in order to produce some spectacular result in Christian character or achievement, but something God has given. Barnes's notes in his commentary says, People commonly regard the objects on which they pride themselves as things of their own creation or as depending on themselves. But let an object be regarded as the gift of God and it ceases to excite pride. And the feeling is at once changed into gratitude. He, therefore, who regards God as the source of all blessings, and he only, will be an humble man. You see, what you and I need to understand is that everything we have comes from God. You didn't get your nice car based on your hard work. Sorry. Don't mean to bust your bubble. You didn't get your great position based on your hard work. You didn't get the money that you have in the bank based on your hard work and your brilliant intellect. Everything you have is a gift of God. That doesn't mean we lay on our back and say, okay, God, lay it on me. God wants us to work, but God arranges the circumstances that through our work we receive His blessings. Even the gift of salvation is not a matter for pride. Some people feel that God must have loved them more because He saved them. God didn't love them as much He loved me. Well, I got news for you. Romans 3.23 says, For all, A-L-L, little word, every one of us sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By the way, sin is past tense and fall short is continuing present. It means that we all did it and we continue to fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. One sin, and we all deserve eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is life in eternity in the presence of God Himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't do it through your will. You can't do it through your desire. You can't do it through your work. You only do it through putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone. We all have sinned and therefore deserve death. It's only the grace of God that saves Paul says in verse 3, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. That's a really hard verse to translate from Greek into English. Your, your translation may some, say something entirely different than the New American Standard. The reason is that Paul uses the word play here. He uses one Greek word four different ways. Literally what he says 
I say to every man among you, not to think highly, more than he ought to think, but to think, to think soberly. The word that Paul uses for think soberly means to be a sound mind. To be sane. So therefore, to be arrogant or high thinking means to be not sane. To be insane. Or not to be a sound mind. If you think that you're better than somebody else, you are insane. I'm sorry. I didn't say it. God said it. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. What then are we to think sanely or soberly about? Well, we're to think soberly or sanely in reference to our faith. And we're to think soberly or sanely in reference to our gifts. Number one, we're to recognize that we're saved by faith, which is a gift of God. And number two, the gifts that we have are a gift of God through His grace allotted to each of us. We must remember that God has allotted to each one of you little word again. E-A-C-H. Each one of you a measure of faith. Our faith is not our own and therefore not a reason to be prideful. Nor is our reason, our faith, a reason to put ourselves down. I've heard over and over and over in my 20 plus years as a pastor, well, I don't have the faith of Abraham and Moses. Sorry. Your faith is given to you by God, therefore it's just right now. The trick is to exercise We must also remember that God has given us the gifts. Verse 6, according to the grace given us. And therefore, even though our gifts may be different, they are not a reason to be prideful. We should not look at someone like James Kennedy, Charles Stanley, great creatures, and put ourselves down or put them on. We should not look at people like Donnie Erickson Connor, who exercise faith in the in the, the face of incredible trials and put ourselves down or put them on a pedestal. Because you see, God has given each one of us just the right amount of faith. We just have to exercise it. We have to exercise the gift that God has given us. Each and every one of you have gifts from God. John Murray in his commentary on this passage says, If we consider ourselves to possess gifts we do not have, then we have an inflated notion of our place and function. We sin by esteeming ourselves beyond what we are. But if we underestimate, then we are refusing to acknowledge God's grace. And we fail to exercise that which God has dispensed for our own sanctification and that of others. You see, your gifts are not only for yourself, 
can be used for others. Barnes's note says there is no sin to which people are more prone than an inordinate self-valuation and pride. Instead of judging by what constitutes true excellence of character, they pride themselves on that which is of no intrinsic value on rank and titles and external accomplishments or on talents, learning, or wealth. The only true standard of character pertains to the principles of action or to that which constitutes the moral nature of man. And to that, the apostle calls the Roman people, as I would add, and us. We are all called to exercise our faith properly. The gifts of God are given for others. Many years ago, I was a young sailor and I decided I wanted to become a submarine. I did it for a matter of pride. But when I got to submarine school and barely got through it, got on the submarines, I discovered that the submarine crew is a family and that every person who is a part of the crew is considered an important part of the crew. In fact, when I first went aboard submarines, in order to qualify, you were given six months. Not only did you have to learn to draw every system on the ship from memory, not only did you have to learn where every switch and every valve and every piece of equipment on the submarine was, and they would walk you through and say, what's that? You have to know. Uh, not only did you go through this long process, but what you had to do was to actually go to each station and do whatever was required at that station. You had to actually start a diesel engine. You had to actually fire a torpedo tube, not with a torpedo in it, but with a water slug. Uh, you had to get the ship underway on the battery. You had to function in every position on that submarine because every position on that crew was important. And therefore, when you saw someone with the dolphins on, you knew what kind of uh, testing he had been through. You knew he was a functioning, vital part of a particular family. And I was really prideful about my dolphins. Like I used to go home on leave and go to the pool or the lake and put on my bathing suit, put them on my bathing suit. <laughs> so the girls would say, what's that? Oh, let me tell you. But we're not to be prideful. We're to acknowledge that God has given us the gifts for others. Paul uses the analogy of the human body to teach that every member's gift is important for the whole body. Just as every submarine crew's position is important for the whole body. Verse 4. The body has many different members or parts, and all the members do not have the same function. Every crew member of a submarine doesn't have the same function. They're all different. The whole body is not an eye. If it were, the body couldn't see where it was, could see where it was going, but couldn't go anywhere. It just gives big eyeballs. It? Couldn't do a thing. The whole body's not a foot. If it were, it would be able to go somewhere, but it couldn't see where it was going. It'd be bumping into everything or falling off a cliff. The whole body's not a hand. If it were, it could grasp, but it wouldn't have any idea about what. 
every part of the human body is important. Even the tiniest part. And every part has a function. And you have a function in the body of Christ. Verse 5. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The motto of the United States of America is he pluribus unum. From many, one. The reality of the Christian church is he pluribus unum. From many, one. We are many individuals, but we are one body, one family. Just as each of the 13 individual colonies became one part of the new nation of the United States of America. So we as individuals, saved by grace, become part of the body of Christ. The original 13 states depended on each other for support in the War of Independence. And the diversity of their people enhanced their effort to win their freedom from England. John Scott writes, as one body, each member belongs to all the others. That is, we are dependent on one another. And the one anotherness of the Christian family is enhanced by the diversity of our gifts. The submarine crew is diverse. All are not electricians. All are not engineers. All are not sonar technicians. All don't plot the courses. All are not cooks. All don't clean up the mess hall after the meals. But every position is important. All of you are not preachers. All of you are not Sunday school teachers. All of you have different gifts. And each and every one of you is important for the body of Christ. The gifts of the gospel must be properly used. The New American Standard says the gift of prophecy is used according to the proportion of his faith. I think that's kind of an unfortunate translation of what the original actually says. Literally, the phrase is according to the analogy of the faith. In Greek, the, the article the means it's a particular thing. It is the faith given to us by God. Barnes's note says this word, analogion, is nowhere else used in the New Testament. The word properly applies to mathematics and means the ratio or proportion which results when you compare one number of magnitude to another. In other words, it's a standard. You, you measure something by a standard, and it's analogia. It's analogical or analogy. Therefore, it denotes a measure of something compared with something else. Prophecy, therefore, must be compared with or measured against the standard of the faith. In other words, what Paul is saying is people can't come out and say, I'm prophesying and God told me this. What you have to do when someone says that is take that and go back and compare it to Scripture. Is that what Scripture actually says? That's why Acts 17 says the Bereans were more, no more noble. They listened to what Paul had to say and they went back and compared it to Scripture. Is what he's saying really what Scripture says? People in the Christian world today did that. We wouldn't have hundreds of different 
denomination. We wouldn't have people fighting over what the Bible actually says. If we were willing to put ourselves under the authority of Scripture and go back and say, okay, what does it really say? And then if the person was telling us something that was contrary to Scripture, we'd say, excuse me, that's not what it says. I'm not going to listen to that. Prophecy, therefore, must be compared with or measured against the faith revealed in Scripture. Verse 7. The gifts of serving. The gift of serving is used in his service. Literally, what Paul says, if service, in the serving. Paul uses a word, both in the noun and the verb form, the word diakonos, the word from which we get minister or deacon. The word literally means an attendant who waits at tables. That's how it was used in the Greek word. In Christian use, it means to help or attend those in need. So if God has given you the gift of serving, then you should be using that gift to stand with or attend or help or serve others in the body. And I would remind you that we all are servants. If you are a Christian, you are a servant of God and therefore must serve Him. We were talking in Sunday school in Exodus. God says to Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go that, purpose word, they may serve or worship me. You see, we've all been saved out of sin and darkness, out of bondage to sin. Not just simply to be saved and say, oh, I'm free. We've been saved to serve. And there's no true Christian who can say I'm a Christian and is not involved in the body of Christ. If you're not a Christian, you're also a servant. You're a servant of Satan. You must repent and turn to God or suffer the eternal consequences. You cannot be a Christian and not serve God. You cannot not be a Christian and not serve Satan. Jesus says in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I remind you over and over and over again that mammon, although most people translate it as money and think of it in terms of wealth, it really comes from a Hebrew word which means whatever is not God. So what Jesus is saying is you can't serve God and whatever is not God. It's a logical impossibility. You either serve one or the other. The gift of teaching is used in teaching. Literally, Paul writes, the one who teaches in the teaching. If God has given you the, the gift of teaching, then you should be using that gift in the teaching of others about the gospel. Do you have a gift? Use it in Sunday school. Use it in children's church. Use it in Bible studies. Use it when you're teaching the children. Use it when you're talking to your friends and neighbors that don't know anything about Jesus Christ. You can be a teacher. This is the exercise of it. That's what God has given you. The gift of exhorting should be used in exhortation. Literally, again, Paul writes, the one who exhorts in the exhortation. Now, you and I, when we hear the word exhortation, we tend to think of uh, the, the, the 
the dad telling the child, you better not do that. That's not how the word is to be The word that we translate exhortation really is the Greek word parakaleo. If that sounds familiar to you, it should. Paraclete. Jesus says, I go away that I can send the comforter. The paraclete. Same word. It comes from a Greek word which means the one called, kaleo, alongside, para. It was a form for a lawyer. The lawyer was the one who came alongside and defended you in the trial. The lawyer was the one who came alongside and comforted you in your trial. And we all are called to comfort one another. The word means not only to assume, but to comfort, to support. If God has given you the gift of comforting or consoling or exalting, you ought to be using that for His glory and the support of the church. The gift of giving should be used with liberality. Literally, Paul writes, the one who shares with simplicity. Your giving should be with a singleness or sincerity of purpose. Your giving should not be in expectation of what God might do if you give. Your giving should never be for the purpose of what other people might think of your incredible gifts. Your giving is thanks giving for all of the blessings that God has poured out upon you. The gift of leadership should be used with diligence. Literally, again, Paul writes, the one who rules with speed or diligence the way the word is used in Greek. The word we translate leads means to stand before or preside over. The idea that is that if God has given you the gift of leadership, you should be eager to exercise that gift, not in pride, but in humility. You should be eager to stand before or, or to, to be out front in a leadership position. Military, whenever there was a casualty situation, as an officer, one of the things that you were taught was when you come into the scene, into this casualty scene, the first thing you do is you look around and see who's, am I the senior person here? And if you are the senior person there, you say, I'm Mr. Crenshaw, I'm in charge. And then everybody can look to you. We saw the failure of that. Just recently, in Orleans, when no one stood up and said, I'm in charge. Here's what you do. And in the church, we need to see do I have the gift of leadership? And if we are, we ought to be eager, we ought to be speedy to be up front and to be guiding the people of God in humility. The gift of mercy should be used with cheerfulness. Literally, Paul writes the one showing mercy with cheerfulness. The word we translate cheerfulness comes from the Greek word hilarion. Hilarious. We ought to be showing mercy with great cheerfulness, not as a sense of 
beauty. The gifts of the gospel are given to each and every one of you. You all have one or more. And they are given for the purpose of building up or edifying the body of Christ. All the gifts, including salvation, are gifts of God. And therefore, not a matter of pride or not a matter of putting yourself down because you think you don't have any. Each of you who are Christian have been given gifts to be used to benefit one another. You are members one of another and the witness for Jesus Christ. And each of us are warned by Scripture to think soberly, to think sanely about what God has done for you and the gifts that He has given you. If you're part of His body, you are an important part. You need to perform your function. On a submarine, every function was important. That's why every man was trained on every position. If one man went down, someone else could take his place. Your part in the church is important. The church suffers when you think you are unimportant. Just as a submarine could be lost if everyone doesn't perform its function, the church will suffer if you do not perform according to the grace of this.